0: Happy Friday. Pete Callender here. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. The phone numbers are 704-570-1110 and 1-800-WBT-1110. Remember, you can get the podcast at uh, any of your podcasting platforms, your favorite or even your least favorite. It, it, it's everywhere. Uh, also, the Pete You can get the app, the WBT app. Listen live. Uh, hook up with the podcasts there. And you can email Pete at the dot uh, I did get a uh, I did get an email here actually from uh, this morning from Greg uh, from Gregory who says, uh, "Hey, I have uh, cons- I'm considering uh, using PhD weight loss and nutrition. Is there a, a code I can use to get you credit for bringing me to the program?" And I told him no. I wrote back. I said no, there's no code, but you could definitely tell them my name. <laughs> and because uh, that'll help. It's always good to know that the advertiser's message is getting out. So, uh, and uh, Gregory, let me know how I can help. Um, I'm glad to do it. When people reach out and say that they're on the PhD program, I, um, I always offer to help. Uh, encouragement or uh, I would say cooking tips, but they're not really cooking tips because I don't really do a lot of cooking. So it's like if you don't like to cook, I've got a lot of tips. <laughs> so uh, let me know how it goes, and we're pulling for you. Um, all So, uh, kudos to the free press. That is the, uh, not like, not like the generic free press or the, the King's free press. Uh, this is the website, thefp.com. This used to be, oh gosh, what was it called? I don't, I don't remember. She rebranded it. Barry Weiss. Remember Barry Weiss? She was, a, uh, uh, or, well, yeah, she was New York Times columnist. And they ran her out, cancel cultured her right out of a job uh, as a columnist, and I think a member of like the editorial staff or something. Um, and I think it was because it was o- it was over some radical theory. I don't remember if it was racial or if it was gender or if it was um, uh, her support of Israel. That might have done it actually. Um, and so they ran her out. She wrote this big, you know, uh, uh, message about how the New York Times has been uh just captured by this, you know, Church of Wokism. And then she launched her own Substack. And it, apparently it's going well. And uh, I saw this piece that got posted yesterday. Very, very lengthy piece. And again, the website is thefp.com if you want to read this. And the headline is, I thought I was saving trans kids. Now I am blowing the whistle. And it's written by a woman named Jamie Reed. She's 42 years old. She's from St. Louis. She calls herself a queer woman and politically to the left of Bernie Sanders. She said, My worldview has deeply shaped my career. I have spent my professional life providing counseling to vulnerable populations, children in foster care, sexual minorities, the poor. For almost four years, she says, I worked at the Washington University School of Medicine Division of Infectious Diseases, and she worked with teens and young adults who were all HIV positive. Many of them, she said, were trans or otherwise gender nonconforming, and I could relate, she said. Through childhood and into adolescence, I did a lot of gender questioning myself. I'm now married to a trans man. And together, we are raising my two biological children from a previous marriage and three foster children that we hope to adopt. Okay, so let me just pause here for a moment. (laughs) Let's just set the record here. Not a right-winger, right? Not some sort of, you know, uh, Bible-thumping, (laughs) super-Christian, MAGA-hat-wearing, homophobe, transphobe, whatever. Like, she is as of the left, as you can imagine. She says all of this history, all of who she is and what she does, what she believes, she says, led her to a job back in 2018 to be a case manager at the Washington University Transgender Center at St. Louis Children's Hospital, which had been um, established about a year earlier. The center's working assumption was that the earlier you treat kids with gender dysphoria the more anguish you can prevent later on right and we hear this too right we we heard this yesterday in the debate over and uh, the day before uh, well all this week honestly over the North Carolina's passage or the the Senate's passage of the parents bill of rights we we heard this very same argument right that the the only path to quote treat gender dysphoria or uh, people who are thinking that they are trans, is affirmation. And I would submit it's actually not affirmation. It's denialism. But um, this is sort of the the only acceptable view, right? It's It's affirmation, or you are trying to erase these folks from existence. And you know me, I am not big on the false dichotomies. I loathe them. There are more than two options here. So again, this premise which is shared by doctors, therapists, like all over the country, at all levels of government, at all levels of the medical profession, right? This idea that the earlier you treat kids with gender dysphoria, the more anguish you can prevent later on. And she says, given all of their expertise at this uh, clinic, at this transgender center she worked at, she said, I assume that abundant evidence backed this consensus and this is, by the way, the whole point of shutting down dissent, saying the science is settled on, fill in the blank, the, the consensus belief is whatever, nobody but crazy people would ever oppose lockdowns, right? Like that's that sort of thing. The, consent, the, the The pushing of the consensus narrative is meant to deceive most people who are not going to go dig into the research. They're not going to spend time to figure out what is the science? And if they are even able to decipher the science, right? They don't have the time to read all the peer reviews and all of the uh, the challenges and the back and forth between the different scientists. And so it's just flood the zone, right? Flood the zone, all things uh, positive for whatever narrative is being advanced. And that's the consensus. And so, of course, I'm going like, to think of this. There's a woman of the left. So you can imagine what kind of news she generally is consuming And she's working in this field and goes to work for the Transgender Center at St. Louis Children's Hospital. Goes to the hospital and she is under the impression that all of the doctors, all the experts, that there is this consensus because it is backed by evidence. She worked there for four years as a case manager. She was responsible for uh, uh, patient intake, oversight as well. About a thousand young people came through our doors, she said. The majority of them received hormone prescriptions that can have life-altering consequences, including sterility. She says that she left the clinic in November last year, this past November. She said, because I could no longer participate in what was happening there. By the time I departed, I was certain that the way the American medical system is treating these patients, these kids is the opposite of the promise to do no harm. Instead, we are permanently harming the vulnerable patients in our care. So today, she says, I am speaking out. I'm doing so knowing how toxic the public conversation is around this highly contentious issue. Can confirm that. This last week's uh, personal experience. Yeah, I can confirm how toxic this conversation is. And the ways uh, that my testimony might be misused. She says, I am doing so knowing that I'm putting myself at serious personal and professional risk. Almost everyone in my life advised me to keep my head down, but I cannot in good conscience do so, because what is happening to scores of children is far more important than my comfort. And what is happening to them is morally and medically appalling. But not really low lights, I guess. I'm going to Talk 1110, 99.3 WBT. Her name is Jamie Reed. She used to be the case manager working intake uh, at the Washington University Transgender Center at St. Louis Children's Hospital. She'd been doing it since 2018. She quit her job in November. She says when she first got there, she was struck by the lack of formal protocols for treatment. And she also noticed a shift in the demographic makeup of their patients uh, while she was there. At first, their patient population was tipped towards what what used to be sort of the traditional instance of kids with gender dysphoria. Namely, young boys who wanted to present or wanted to be a girl. That was sort of the typical gender dysphoric patient. Then around 2015 or so, stuff started to change, and not just at this hospital, but across the Western world, that we started to see a dramatic increase in a brand new population, teenage girls. Many of them have no previous history of any kind of gender distress, but all of a sudden, They were declaring that they're transgender, and they demanded immediate treatment with testosterone. This happened all across the Western world, by the way. And are we to believe that there's, that this is just because all of a sudden society began accepting them and affirming them, and then they were all free to come out as trans? That's, like, that's the narrative that exists, right? That's the reason why we're seeing so many. Yet, on the other hand, we hear that if, you know, but for the gender affirmation and the puberty blockers and the the radical mastectomies and the the reconstructive surgeries and stuff that if not for those things then these patients these kids would be killing themselves yet we haven't seen a decline in suicides so how does that figure she says when i started there were probably 10 calls a month for these girls as patients but when i left About four years later or so, there were 50. And about, so it went from 10 to 50 a month. Think about that. So instead of one every third day, and that's just in St. Louis. This is one hospital in St. Louis, right? One every three days. By the time she quits in November, you're at almost two a day. And about 70% of the new patients were all girls. Sometimes clusters of girls arrived from the same high school. There was a team of about eight of us, she says, and only one other person brought up the kinds of questions that I had. Anybody who raised doubts ran the risk of being called a transphobe, which really is amazing, right? You actually, you are working in a transgender clinic, and if you raise any kind of question like, huh, that's weird. We just got 17 girls from the same class that showed up. That's odd, don't you think? Like the whole class, just they all they're all transgender? Was there something in the was there something in the classroom that that did this or or what? The girls who came to us had many comorbidities, which we all know that word now, thank you COVID, right? They all had a lot of comorbidities. They had depression, anxiety, ADHD, eating disorders, obesity. A lot of them were even diagnosed with autism or had autism-like symptoms. Frequently, our patients would declare that they had other disorders, which they did not have. They would say they had Tourette's syndrome, they had tick disorders, they had multiple personalities. But they did not. And doctors, when talking amongst themselves and the staff, they would say these false Self-diagnoses, they say it's a manifestation of social contagion. And girls have always been, by the way, girls have always been more susceptible to social contagion. Because generally speaking, and I know this is going to ruffle feathers, but generally speaking, men and women are different. Boys and girls are different. Right? Generally speaking, guys, like, or guys are interested in things and girls are interested in people. Women are tend to be more empathetic, more sympathetic. They feel more deeply, they connect more deeply, they value personal relationships. Like these are the things, right? These are the things that make them more susceptible, though, to take on other people's afflictions and internalize them for themselves. Social contagion. I'm not a scientist, but I've read what the I've read like a lot of this stuff over the years. Thank you, HB2. That's where I started my education on all of these issues years ago. Gosh, when was that? It would have been after McCrory got in. So what? After twenty twelve? Obama, right? Because he lost in sixteen, right? Yeah. So would have been around, yeah, around twenty twelve. So um, twenty thirteen timeframe, I guess. I've read a lot of stuff about this stuff that I had never had any interest in and then became very fascinating to me and shocking and appalling at the way people use like sort of this ideology to harm other people i've said it before every time every time i talk about this topic i always try to reinforce the fact that i do have sympathy for people who are experiencing these feelings of dysphoria because i i would not know how to even begin to imagine what that must feel like that has got to be very, very difficult. And I feel that way for not just people who feel this way about their gender, but also f- feel this way about all sorts of other things. People who think that they are morbidly obese when they are actually starving themselves to death. I don't know what that, must be, what that must be like if your brain is telling you something that is not true. right? And it is so powerful that that you're killing yourself. I don't know what that's like. I don't know what it's like. To think that you should be blind, and you would actually go and blind yourself, because your brain is telling you, "I should not have sight, or I should not be able to walk, so I will, you know, cripple myself." But the answer to these uh, these uh, afflictions has never been. The treatment has never been to say, "Yes, please keep, you know, keep purging." Oh, absolutely, yes. Uh, you 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 know, seventy two pound skin and bone skeleton. Yeah, yeah, you're you're obese. Let's affirm that. Let's absolutely, let's, let's affirm this affliction. Affirm your vision of self. You can change your vision of self. You can. And I'm not talking through surgeries. I'm talking through the mind. That's people's perceptions of self. It's a powerful thing. All right, so uh, doctors are talking privately. Yeah, this is social contagion. Do they say that to the patients? No, they do not. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Email from uh, Jan to Pete at the Pete Callender Show. Pete, there are types of body dysmorphia that says I don't have an arm. So there shouldn't be one there. Following this way of thinking, um, I cannot apply the word "logic" to what these people are doing. Thirteen-year-olds uh, should be should be able to go to a doctor and have an arm chopped off, claiming I have body dysmorphia or dysphoria. Uh, I feel horrible for the people going through this, but I have a difficult time believing that everyone coming forward now actually has gender dysphoria or body dysphoria. I agree with your argument that social contagion is a real issue. The fact that it is so easily, easily and rapidly discounted by those on the left makes me consider this as a more serious issue. Right? And this is this is the, the part at the uh, or this is part of the the core of what the parents' Bill of Rights arguments are about. And the cover story, the Mott and Bailey tactic, right? We've talked about Mott and Bailey, which is the it's a it's a debate strategy where you make this you make this grand claim and uh, this this big claim that's controversial you then attract the people to this uh claim that then start attacking it you then retreat back to the I always I always get them confused I think the bailey is the I think the bailey is the the uh, like you, you got to think in medieval times like the the farmland out around the the tower at around the castle and that's the Mott, or maybe it's vice versa but in the debate the field is is hard to defend right and that's where the attacks come so you go out there you make this argument and then when the attacks come you retreat back to the fortified more easily defended position and then people are like well we can't we can't really attack that i mean that's fair enough And so then they retreat, they leave, and then you come back down out of the tower. You go out onto the field again, and you make your ridiculous claims again. That's the that's the it's a beat and switch kind of tactic in debate, and that's what we see with the parents' bill of rights, for example. What they're talking about is right radical queer theory, radical gender theory, and this is at the core where it's you know gender is is a social construct, as is race, they say. But this is a construct. And so we're going to dismantle it. Well, when parents push back on that because they disagree with that ideology, then the retreat is you're anti-LGBT. You're you're. Why are you trying to harm people? Well, nobody's trying to harm anybody. In fact, quite the opposite, right? All right. This is this is uh, the emailer here. Jan is exactly correct. There are people who suffer from various types of dysphoria, and the uh, the. The therapy, the way you help them, is to is to get at the underlying issues, the underlying therapies, right? It's not to affirm a belief that the reality doesn't exist. Let me get Albert on. Hello, Albert. Welcome to the program. How are you? I'm doing fine. How are you, Pete? Hey, I'm well. What's going on? Oh no, much. I just wanted to comment that you uh, you were hurting my head with all that logic back in that last segment. It, it, uh, I'm so used to hearing a garble that, that my head started. Hurting. <laughs> well, you did a great job there. Well, thank, thank you. you. I'm a giver. I am a giver. What can I say? Of headaches and uh, and snark. <laughs> <laughs> You're doing a great job, Peter. Thank you very much. Thank you, Albert. I appreciate the call. Have a great weekend, sir. All right. Bye, right, buddy. Take care. Um, I just saw the comment and said, I'm giving him a headache. I thought that might be more combative than it was. (laughs) It's like – sorry. So back to this piece. This is Jamie Reed, and she worked at the, uh, the Washington University Transgender Center at St. Louis Children's Hospital for like four or five years. She was case management intake, and she quit in November. And she said doctors privately recognized a lot of these false self-diagnoses as a manifestation of social contagion, but you couldn't say that. And doctors didn't act like that. They would say that privately. But to begin transitioning, girls only needed a letter of support from a therapist, usually one that the clinic would recommend, that the children's hospital would recommend. They had to see this therapist once, maybe twice, and then they got the green light. And to make it more efficient for the therapists, the hospital offered them a template on how to write a letter in support of transition. So you just got to kind of fill in the kid's name. That's all. Just fill in the name. Next stop, single visit to the endocrinologist for a testosterone prescription. That's all it took. That is all it took. One, maybe two visits with the therapist, and then you can get on the testosterone. The center downplayed the negative consequences as well. They would emphasize the need for transition. The center's website says, quote, left untreated, gender dysphoria has any number of consequences from self-harm to suicide. But when you take away the gender dysphoria by allowing a child to be he uh, to be who he or she is, we are noticing that goes away. The studies we have show these kids often wind up functioning psychosocially as well or better than their peers but reed points out there are actually no reliable studies that show that this is what the hospital puts on their website though the experiences of many of the center's patients prove how false the assertions actually are this is like i said this is a very very lengthy piece it is it is appalling and it's sad but it's super important um I'm not, I can't read all of it, obviously, so I'm, I'm, I'm kind of pulling out some of the, the bigger issues. Uh, she was the main intake person. She said, I had the broadest perspective on our existing and prospective patients. 2019, a new group of people appeared on my radar. D-sisters or D-transitioners. D-sisters choose not to go through with the transition, and D-transitioners are transgender people who decide to return to their birth gender. The one colleague with whom I was able to share my concerns agreed with me that we should be tracking desistance and detransition. And we thought the doctors would want to collect and understand this data in order to figure out what they may have missed, right? Because if you're recommending that these patients get the surgeries or the puberty blockers and hormones, and then they come back a year later and they're like, oh, no, no, I don't want to do this anymore. You should find out why, why you got it wrong, what happened, because they obviously weren't trans, right? You misidentified them based on what they told you. So you need to figure out where you went wrong. But the doctors didn't want anything to do with that. They actually said, why are you spending your time on somebody who is no longer a patient? So they, these two staffers, Reed and her colleague, who she's not naming, uh, they created a document. They called it the red flag list. They put it into an Excel spreadsheet. They tracked the kinds of patients that kept my colleague and me up at night. One of the saddest cases was a teenage girl, came from an unstable family, history of drug use, living uh, an uncertain living situation. The overwhelming majority of our patients are white, but this girl was black. She would put on, uh, she was put on hormones uh, when she was around sixteen. Two years later, she went in for a double mastectomy. Three months after that, she called the surgeon's office saying she was going back to her birth name. Her pronouns were she and her. And she said she wanted her breasts back. And they don't do that. How did you get that so wrong? News Talk 1110, 993 WBT. 704-570-1110, 1-800-WBT-1110. We'll get John on here uh, right quick. Hello, John. Welcome to the program. Hey, I was gone. you know, always follow the money. Mm. If, if you recall about maybe a year or so ago, there was a vice uh, president of one of these university hospitals talking to a conference. Mm-hmm. He was telling them how much money, you know, it's almost like pure profit when they're doing these surgeries on these kids, and they keep co- and it's a patient for life. They can never yeah, stop exactly. taking the the treatments, the hormones and stuff. If they do, and some of the complications, the side effects and stuff guarantee that they're going to be you know a, a patient for the rest of their lives. Yeah, I remember the video. Yeah, so I mean, it, it, it's just so obvious that you know again, they're just in it for the making the money, and the kids are just a uh, casualty of that. Yeah, which I mean, it it, I mean that I'm not sure you can I'm not sure that you could actually conjure up a more evil act, you know. If that's if the people that are motivated by money and just don't care about what kind of future impact this is having, that's uh, yeah, it's it's astonishing. Uh, well, and it's really a double-edged sword because then when the kids decide they want to retransition back mm. or try to, well, hey, let's just tack on more charges. Yeah, and and meanwhile, and more. Uh, more side effects. Yeah. More, yeah. more lasting problems and afflictions. Yeah. John, I appreciate the call. It's exactly right. Have a great week. Yeah, man. You too. Um, it is, I remember the video and I think that, that, uh, I want to say, I want to say it was at a, it was somewhere in Tennessee, if I recall correctly, because when it came out, Matt Walsh at the daily wire, uh, and they're now headquartered in Tennessee. I think they went after it. I think they, they got shut down. I think that clinic is closed now. Um, at that hospital. Yeah. They, so, and she talks about this uh, in her piece at the, the Free Press, which is, by the way, the website is thefp.com, thefp.com, Um, Jamie Reed used to work at one of these children's hospitals, and uh, she said her concern about what was going on at the center started to overtake her life. Uh, she says, by spring of 2020, I felt a medical and moral obligation to do something, so I spoke up in the office. I sent a lot of emails, and in all my years working for the... Uh, Washington University School of Medicine, I had received solidly positive performance reviews. But in 2021, that all changed right after she started raising these concerns. So she got a job coordinating research in another part of the uh, Washington University School of Medicine. She gave her notice and she left the Transgender Center in November 2022. And for a couple of weeks, she said, I tried to put everything behind me, settle into my new job. And then I came across comments from Dr. Rachel Levine a transgender woman who is a high official at the Federal Department of Health and Human Services. The article read, quote, Levine, the U.S. Assistant Secretary for Health, said that clinics are proceeding carefully and that no American children are receiving drugs or hormones for gender dysphoria who should not. And she said that that's not true. It's just not true. So two weeks ago, she brought her concerns and documents to the Missouri Attorney General. He's a Republican. I'm a progressive. But the safety of kids should not be a matter for our culture wars, she says. And then going to the very end here, she concludes that uh, given the secrecy and lack of rigorous standards that characterize youth gender transition across the country, I believe that to ensure the safety of American children, we need a moratorium on the hormonal and surgical treatment of young people with gender dysphoria. In the past 15 years, according to Reuters, the U.S. has gone from having no pediatric gender clinics to now more than 100. A thorough analysis should be undertaken to find out what has been done to their patients and why, and what the long-term consequences are. And we already have a, a map that we can follow. England shut down the Tavistock Center, right? The only youth gender clinic in the country after an investigation there revealed shoddy practices and poor patient treatment. Sweden, Finland, they've now investigated pediatric transition and they have since greatly curbed the practice there, finding that there is insufficient evidence to help or uh, evidence of help and actual danger of great harm. Some critics describe the treatment offered at places like the Transgender Center where I worked as a kind of national experiment, but that's wrong because experiments are supposed to be carefully designed. Hypotheses are supposed to be tested ethically. The doctors I worked alongside at that center said frequently about the treatment of our patients, quote, we are building the plane while we are flying it. That's what I said, quoting Dr. Greg Murphy, North Carolina congressman, the way he described uh, the COVID pandemic. Congressman Dr. Greg Murphy said, "We are building the plane while we're flying it," and I always thought that was a really good uh, analogy to describe what we were trying to do in real time. And I and and I would say during the the height, the beginning, and the height of the pandemic, I was saying we we're either practicing battlefield medicine or we're not. And so when people would talk about who's paced or whatever, I'd say, "Is it working? Is it helping? Are you testing it?" If somebody if some doctors have figured out some sort of a pharmaceutical cocktail that, that keeps people out of the hospital or or helps alleviate the symptoms or whatever, again, we're either practicing battlefield medicine or we are not. And if you're practicing battlefield medicine, you do whatever it takes, right? Because you're just trying to save as many lives as possible. But that's not what this is. That's not what's going on here with these clinics. Kids should not be a passenger on that kind of an aircraft. It's heartbreaking. Absolutely heartbreaking. All right. uh, Next hour. Oh, and I did get this. Yes. At Patriot Girl. How many lawsuits do you think it's going to take before this madness stops? I don't know. Billions and billions of dollars, I think, are going to go out the door on this. And it should. It absolutely should.